Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hello and welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman and today we are talking about COVID-19 uh, from the perspective of a psychologist, an immunologist, and a pediatrician. Basically, I really want to address this, but I also recognize that there's such an oversaturation in the media and it's causing such a frenzy that I certainly don't want anyone who's over-consuming to add to their list. And in that case, I would say, start by turning this off and come on back and join us next week. In the meantime, I just wanted to go over a few things because I know that there have been a lot of questions out there. So this is a strange time. And keep in mind that a podcast, or at least this podcast, is recorded a few days before the episode comes out. And because the science of this new coronavirus pandemic is changing by the day, some of the information may be outdated by the time you guys hear this from the perspective of the immunologist and the pediatrician. Um, so always keep track of what's going on. I would not, again, oversaturate yourself, limit the amount of time you spend reading about this because there's so much conflicted information and conflicting information and opinions. Um, so pick a couple of really strong, scientifically accurate resources and that's it. Um, I highly recommend the Johns Hopkins University of Medicine Coronavirus Resource Center that has lots of great, accurate, up-to-date information. In the meantime, I want everybody to give themselves a break if they're feeling anxious. You know, it's very hard not to feel anxious when things are ambiguous, and this is an ambiguous time. There's vague information. There's unknowns, things change every day. And it's really, this is unprecedented. So give yourself a break if you are freaking out. At the same time, help normalize that with your kids as well. So you don't want to, if you feel super calm, but you notice that your kids are anxious, don't try to convince them out of it. Rather just be there, let, you know, let them vent, let them tell you what they're feeling and then work on the conversation from there. The other feeling they might be having is tremendous disappointment about canceled events, canceled school potential, canceled parties, canceled travel, spring break. So 
that's something to note that they may be very aware that they are not at risk and that kids are actually in a, you know, the best position in terms of public health, but that they're disappointed and that that feeling is also perfectly valid and just be there, listen to them. Don't try to convince them out of it. Having empathy is incredibly powerful in those kinds of moments. So try to avoid just telling them this is the way it is and we have bigger fish to fry. There's a pandemic. Let them know that you understand that this is disappointing, that you can't take this trip they were looking forward to, or that you have to change some things or they're going to miss something. And if you're prepared to calmly have the conversation and you've had a chance to talk about it and, and think about it, you're going to have the right tone and it's going to be fine. Another few things that I just wanted to mention, young children don't really need to know that this is top of mind at all times. That's not how their brains work. And so if you are trying to convince them that everything's fine, but you're always watching the news and you're always talking about it, they're going to know what's going on. You really want to think children under the age of six just need to know that they're safe, that the world is safe, and that you feel pretty good. You might not feel that way because it's a pretty unsafe feeling time, but if you can reassure your kids, they really don't need to know how tricky this situation is and they really don't need to panic. It won't do them any good. It won't serve them. It won't help solve any problems. It won't help protect them from difficult things in the future. So there's no need. As kids get older, you absolutely can talk to them about it, but lead them to the good resources and limit the things that they're consuming and you're consuming as well. And make sure that they understand that they're safe. But what they could really focus on is how can they be helpers in the community? And in this case, they can be helpers by staying clean, by washing their hands, by coughing into their wings, by protecting vulnerable people from illness, and that that is their contribution to society because that's in their control. And one thing that really helps anxiety is feeling like you have something that you have control over and that we do know how to control. What are those steps that we can take to protect those who are vulnerable? So if you reframe it as something related to helping others instead of panic about ourselves, especially when for the most part in your household, as long as no one has a, an existing condition that's listed as a risk factor or is elderly, they are very safe. So again, reframing for children, what they can do with this information is really helpful. And finally, since we don't know uh, the plans from day to day. And by the time this episode comes out, schools might be canceled, games might be canceled, different things that you thought you were going to have going on over the next few weeks are not happening. It's possible that people need to stay home. We just don't know. If that's the case, plan with your kids what the days are going to look like. If you have preschoolers, do something like get a poster board and put pictures just like they have at preschool of what the day looks like so that they have a routine every day. And it's not just kind of like, well, what should we do today? That can be very stressful for everyone, for you, for your kids. 
so they know what to expect. You can even budget the TV time in there, but it's budgeted so that you know what's going on. And for older kids, and and by the way, from three on, but certainly school-aged, enlist them to help you come up with some of the things that they're going to be doing each day and help them come up with what physical activities you can do, what activities you can do for your brain, what activities you can do for your body, what activities you can do for fun and so forth. And finally, make sure that you're not too hard on yourself about, you know, media consumption, because I'm sure it's a little over the top right now. But for the kids, make sure that even if you are being strict about time spent on media, let them communicate with their friends. If they're spending a lot of time unexpected time away from their friends or school actually really does end up getting canceled, help them find ways to still engage socially so that they don't feel isolated and so that they don't end up missing out on those fun interactions. You know, for them, it really can be an adventure and they can really come up with cool things. For older kids, be a little softer on them about texting with their friends. I mean, obviously, as long as it's appropriate, Um, not all night, but just during the day when you normally maybe would be like, put your phone away, not during mealtime, but just understand that they really do need to stay in touch with everybody and go easy on yourself and them. Finally, take a deep breath. This is an exercise certainly in the unknown and we don't really have answers, but don't share that level of how little we know with our kids because that is just too much to ask of them. So now I'm going to have an immunologist and a pediatrician answer some questions about the other components that are up in the air. The immunologist is my father and the pediatrician is my colleague. And I was talking to them and I said, can I actually record this? Because I feel like I'm not the only person with these questions. So I hope this helps alleviate anxiety by giving you accurate information. I recognize that there's no way to alleviate all the anxiety and that, by the way, you need to have some anxiety because you need to take care of people who are at risk. And the only way to do that is to be vigilant about the things that you can do to contain this virus. But um, I am wishing everyone well and hoping that things are going to start to look up. And I hope this is helpful. So tell us, what is a coronavirus? A coronavirus uh, uh, is interesting because it's a class of viruses that are new to human beings. And this particular coronavirus, which is in the family of SARS in the past, is a virus that is a respiratory virus in humans. It came from animals. And it's becoming rapidly uh, a pandemic globally. So what's interesting about it uh, is its spread in humans is right now different than influenza because influenza is a virus that human beings have seen and there is a bit of herd immunity out there. There is no herd immunity to, to this virus and it is spreading. But what is interesting about it is that as it's spreading, we have learned that about 70% of people just get a mild respiratory infection. What does that look like? 
So that looks like uh, uh, a case of the flu with cough and uh, uh, cold symptoms. And more importantly, we don't know that under the age of 10, whether they're carriers, but we do know that the disease in children under 10 is very mild, if disease at all. So that's great. That is great. And so when um, there's widespread panic and people are kind of hoarding food and toiletries and Purell um, and trying to hunker down more at home, is that at all helpful? Well, I have two points of view about that. One is I believe for the future, we need to develop a herd immunity to this virus and it's going to happen. We do have a situation with this virus that affects people that are medically impaired. That means people with respiratory issues, asthma, emphysema, et cetera, uh, type two diabetes, heart disease. So that population is affected and the elderly are affected. So globally where we've seen deaths are in those uh, individuals. What's quite interesting is that 70% of people who get infected with this virus are fine. They have uh, uh, a mild case of cough and, and what are you know cold symptoms at various parts of the spectrum. But as I've said again, young children are not affected in the way that others are. So that's, that's great. I believe that uh, uh, the fear uh, that exists right now about this virus is a fear because this virus is new to humans. And so it is spread, you know, globally and people are getting infected very rapidly because there is no immunity to this virus. But people should act as if they were thinking about the flu. And in the winter, one thing to do is wash your hands multiple times a day. Make sure that you don't touch your face uh, uh, over and over again. This virus is spread uh, from uh, uh, the mucosal surfaces of people with the virus. So if you get close to somebody, uh, droplets from people's mouths, nose, etc., are the way coronavirus is spread. So if you are not feeling well you're, and you wear a mask, you're getting on a plane and you wear a mask, that makes sense. But does it make sense if you're feeling fine to wear a mask? Is that protective or is that overkill? It probably really helps if uh, you've got uh, an upper respiratory uh, type of, of infection that you get on a plane and wear a mask. What makes more sense is if you're sick, Act as if this is a public health issue and don't get on airplanes, don't get on trains, don't get on a subway and make sure you stay away from groups of people until you're better and even a, a bit longer than that. If we find out in New York State, for example, that there's more than widespread coronavirus infections, then uh, the governor of the state of New York will uh, uh, set up a situation where people don't come in and out of the state of New York uh, for a two-week period of time. We need to make sure that people think about this as a public health issue. And public health issues means 
that you don't go to places where there are lots of people acting as if this is a public health issue. But for your audience, small children, from a pediatric point of view, this is not a disease that is affecting children under the age of 10. That's great. Even though they they might have it, but it's not affecting them in a way that is problematic. That's correct. They may be carriers. We don't know. We right now don't have enough testing that's been done to ask that question so that when we do, this will give us much more information. But more importantly, these are viruses that do best, like the influenza virus, at about 4.44 degrees Celsius, which is 40 degrees Fahrenheit. And it means as the warmer weather comes, we may see a dissipation of infection. Well, then how come it's in spreading in California? Well, that's uh, you know a question uh, uh, that always exists. It's spreading in Singapore as well. Influenza spreads during the winter months, even in places that are a bit warmer. Uh, but in the evenings, it gets a bit cooler. It isn't at the temperatures where these viruses begin to dissipate in their activity. What is continually interesting to me as an immunologist is that I believe that herd immunity, which is about 20% of the population becoming immune, will in the end uh, uh, deal with this in a different way. I'm hoping that this isn't and doesn't become a cyclical uh, uh, disease. We're not going to have a vaccine for a year and a half. So all this talk about vaccines is rather uh, naive in that what we have a better chance of getting is an antiviral. And people are looking at existing drugs, drugs which may hit other viruses, drugs that are uh, uh, more broadly antiviral may end up being the agents which help people, especially the aged. But what is clear is we don't know, uh, and it's part of the uh, uh, fear of this virus, is that it is unclear what's going to happen. We don't have enough information yet. It's clearly spreading globally. And that's interesting because it started in one spot, Wuhan, uh, China, and it's now everywhere in the world. It's in Caribbean islands already, so it's spreading everywhere. Again, for your audience, young kids don't get sick. So there has not been the fear of thus far of someone under the age of 10 getting very sick. That's a great thing. So our young children appear to be protected because of their immune system or uh, uh, some natural uh, uh, state of immunity. What is also clear is that we don't know whether a young child who's been in contact or maybe a carrier and goes to see a grandparent doesn't do something which is an issue. So we need to be very thoughtful about the public health risks and you know, we already know that in Northern Italy, where there's been a real block by the government in terms of people leaving all of the North, people are trying to sneak out of that area already. It's very important that people understand what public health risks are. And this is presently a public health risk because again, this virus has never seen humans and vice versa, obviously. And the fact that human beings have never been in contact with this 
infection before means that everybody that comes into contact with it has a chance of being infected. And because of that very fact, and that's the one fact that we have to deal with, our immune systems have never seen something, we get infected. And we have to deal with this as a public health issue. So again, what everybody should know is wash your hands, clean surfaces in your home. Don't be overly afraid uh, because that's not helpful, but stay away from large crowds and make sure that uh, you sneeze into your clothes and not your hands. Keep ideally, your hand- probably a napkin and throw um, it out. Ideally, <laughs> uh, use Kleenex or, or uh, a handkerchief. And more importantly, if you're sick, keep yourself self-quarantined for two weeks. Today's episode is sponsored by Osea Malibu, the original plant-based results-driven skincare line. Go to oseamalibu.com, O-S-E-A-M-A-L-I-B-U.com slash goodhumans for $10 off your first purchase of $50 or more, plus free shipping for U.S. orders over $75 and free samples with every order. Pronounced Osea, Osea puts your health and the health of our planet first with potent skincare and body product solutions that are pure, safe, and effective. Osea stands for the elements of wellness, ocean, sun, earth, and atmosphere. Their entire line is built on these four pillars and pulls from botanical sources around the world to create products that are truly effective. Each product is infused with sustainably sourced organic Patagonian seaweed and active botanicals that create a nutrient and mineral-rich bioavailable base. This base allows for the product to easily absorb into the skin and effectively bring about balance while targeting signs of aging and skin imperfections. Founded and run by a family of women inspired by the sea, Osea formulates botanical-powered products that have shown results for all skin concerns. Osea can help reveal and illuminate your natural radiance, whether you're looking for hydration, oil balancing, anti-aging, or blemish solutions. Every product is sustainably packaged, non-toxic, cruelty-free, vegan, and made with love in California. In fact, if you are in LA, stop by the Osea Venice Skincare Studio for a facial that will bring forth your inner glow. With personal skin consultations, customized facials, and in-house expert estheticians, you can stop in and speak with an Osea specialist about the best products for you and your long-term skincare health. You can go to oseamalibu.com slash goodhumans for $10 off your first purchase of $50 or more, plus free shipping for U.S. orders, $75. And enjoy. Um, so a quick question. Can you explain quarantine? Because I actually didn't know this. Um, so there's self-quarantining, which is you don't feel good. You don't know what's wrong, but you're staying home because you just want to make sure that you don't get anybody else sick. But what does that mean for, you know, ordering groceries or checking the mail or seeing the rest of your family? So that means if you're self-quarantining yourself, 
that you get in a room and you have food given to you by people, but those people stay away from you. Those people stay at a distance. You self-quarantine and you wait for a two-week period of time until you're better and feel comfortable that the state of infection has left. Okay. And viruses uh, uh, do go uh, away. Uh, viruses do stop their activity because eventually that immune system that I mentioned that has never seen this virus before sees it, responds to it, and kills it. That's what the immune system's meant to do, to tell the difference between what's you and what's not you. So if you self-quarantine, self-quarantine doesn't mean sitting at home and touching people and interacting in a normal level. Self-quarantine means you get into your bedroom, you stay in your bedroom, you have food brought in, you wash your hands, everybody around you washes their hands and stays away so that droplets, respiratory infections don't occur. Okay, so um, two last questions. One is any tips on just other than hand washing on every day keeping it clean? and a little bit better for susceptibility to, frankly, this flu, colds, anything? We know that flu is spread like coronavirus is spread, and that if people wash their hands, don't sneeze into their hands, and don't touch their face, that they will cut down on the amount of flu spread dramatically. Same holds true for coronavirus. So everyone should wash their hands, keep their hands away from faces, don't get close to people. And, you know, frankly speaking... (laughs) Really just live in it. (laughs) Well, no, no. But don't shake people's hands that you don't know. Don't even (laughs) shake people's hands you do know. And uh, uh, that will cut down on transmission. Transmission occurs at a very close level. And what about a couple of other things that you I've heard you mention about your throat and zinc? Drink a lot of water. Drinking a lot of water helps keep your throat wet. It isn't dry. And virus heads down the uh, uh, the wet uh, part of uh, uh, your, your esophagus and doesn't get drawn into your uh, dry respiratory system. That's so interesting. one good thing to do. Drink a lot of water. Keep that mouth uh, wet. I believe that that uh, it is something that's a good thing to do. Zinc. So I'm one of these people uh, uh, that a long ago I, I wrote uh, with a colleague of mine a chapter in a book uh, of advances in clinical medicine, and that chapter was on nutrition and immunity. And it is uh, the case that in many studies, zinc is something that's an immunostimulant at some levels, and also uh, uh, may have some antiviral uh, uh, activity. So zinc lozenges- If you can get zinc lozenges. If you can get zinc lozenges, they may be useful. Maybe, we have no data on that uh, uh, and, and it's conjecture. So the best thing to do, again, is wash your hands, stay away from large groups of people during this epidemic and make sure that you keep but uh, your home's clean. Make sure that doorknobs are cleaned. Make sure that you don't shake people's hands. And uh, if you get on an airplane and have to be on an airplane, sit by the window. 
don't take food, wipe down your seats and uh, the compartments that have the things in front of you with the uh, the brochures, tray tables. the tray tables, wipe those down with a uh, Clorox wipe. Why the window? Just because you're because cl- you're more not in isolated? the middle of someone and you're more isolated. You have only one person on the <laughs> other side of you, and that I think is a very smart thing to do. Bring food on board. Pull it out of a paper bag. Much smarter thing to do than having trays of of food which have been given to uh, lots of people and pass through multiple hands. So while that's a bit uh, maybe overkill, it's It's better. a time right now. It's, this is the, the, the time to, uh, to do all of that. And again, remember, the children under the age of 10 are safe. So thank you so much. One last question that I know is on a lot of people's minds, spring break is coming up. What should people be doing about travel? I know that we don't actually have an answer and things change. So this will come out in five days. And by then there could be a whole, you know, new chunk of data. But as of now, should I go on spring break? (laughs) No, I mean, I'll I'll tell you, this is an issue. Uh, I have uh, conferences being closed down every week. There's a conference next week. Uh, in about six days in uh, Florida uh, that I'm not attending. There's a gene therapy meeting in two weeks that right now is tenuous. There are conferences all over the world that are just stopping. There are concerts all over the world that are ending. Unfortunately, we're not really able to predict right now what's going to happen because things are, uh, are really in flux. So is the idea behind canceling trips or canceling conferences about not being in places with tons of people or is it about not traveling so that if people have something to spread, they won't spread it as much? Is it about avoiding getting it? Like what is the... It's all of those. And remember, this really spread in a big way because in Wuhan, China... Right at the time that the disease started, they had a huge 40,000 people event uh, just before the Chinese New Year. And this caused rapid and massive spread of this disease. So it is is my uh, view that one should curtail large groups of people no matter what and travel for all the reasons that you just said, both... uh, people's ability to spread uh, the disease. We know that uh, in New York State, uh, one individual who was a lawyer uh, uh, went to his law firm, went to a a place of worship, and uh, uh, the disease began to spread very rapidly. This is a public health issue, and people should, for the next short period of time, watch, wait, and curtail travel. Thank you, that's so helpful. You're welcome. Are you ready for some fun news? Our friends at Go Macro have just released their newest macro bar flavor, double chocolate and peanut butter chips. This yummy new flavor blends protein-rich peanuts, fair trade vegan chocolate, creamy organic peanut butter, and their very own house-made peanut butter chips. And just when you thought it couldn't get any better, they tossed in a handful of their delicious chocolate chips too. All Grow Macro Bars are made from simple, high-quality ingredients that are certified organic, 
vegan, gluten-free, kosher, non-GMO. It goes on and on. Get your hands on Go Macro's new double chocolate and peanut butter chip macro bar by going to G-O-M-A-C-R-O.com and using the promo code HUMANS for 30% off plus free shipping. It's their take on a classic peanut butter cup blends this protein-rich peanuts, fair trade vegan chocolate, creamy organic peanut butter, and delicious peanut butter chips and chocolate chips. I got a big old box of it for my family to try and everybody was happy. I mean, I'll admit it's hard to convince kids that when they want a delicious chocolate bar to have one that is healthy, organic, vegan, gluten-free, kosher, non-GMO, clean, raw, and soy-free. But as healthy, yummy, delicious snacks go, this one is a very easy sell. So visit www.gomacro.com and use the code HUMANS for 30% off plus free shipping. Okay, so now I have here with me Dr. Blair Hammond, who is a board-certified pediatrician at Mount Sinai School of Medicine at Mount Sinai Hospital. She's an assistant professor in the Department of Pediatrics at Mount Sinai, and she's also the pediatrician of my children, might I add. (laughs) So Blair, Dr. Blair Hammond, please help us understand what are the most common concerns that you're getting regarding this new coronavirus? So the main way we believe this virus is spread is through droplets, um, which people have probably heard about. Um, You know, when someone sneezes or coughs, the mucus and saliva from the nose and mouth um, contains virus and can spread it. Usually we think of virus droplet spread as about in a six foot range. So if someone's coughing near you, This is different than what we call airborne, which is the idea that a virus or bacteria would linger in the air after you leave the room. Um, Things like measles and tuberculosis are illnesses where it literally is in the air. Um, However, we do also believe that the virus, you know, the droplets, when they land on hard surfaces in particular, um, it could still be contagious in that form. How long the virus would still be contagious is varying and we're not exactly sure of that and probably depends on the surface. Um, But this is why you hear a lot of people recommending, you know, very important to wash your hands frequently, especially if you're touching other surfaces to avoid things like handshakes and and hugging to more do like air high fives at this time. and to avoid um, being around people who are coughing and sneezing. And if your child does have a cough or sneeze in your home, of course, you're going to teach them that careful skill of like coughing into your elbow area, wing, covering your wing. mouth as much as possible. However, there is new data um, that's just come out about the virus also possibly being in the stool. Um, and they have found virus, parts of viruses in the stool. And the question is, is this now a way that the virus, or is this been a way that the virus has been spread that we've been unaware of before? Um, So I would watch 
for um, the research regarding that. In general, when we talk about diseases that are spread in school, again, the best way to protect against that is careful hand washing. So of course we always emphasize careful hand washing, especially when you're in the bathroom, that's nothing new, but this is the time to really emphasize that with children. Um, often people will talk about singing a song or counting to 20 as you do it and trying to get in between each of the finger surfaces, rubbing your fingers together. I always think you want to cover every part, all the top parts of your fingers, all the side parts, all the bottom parts, so that all parts of the hands get clean. Um, and really, the more time it is underwater with soap, or if you're using hand sanitizer, the more time it's all over your hands, that really does provide um, the cleaning of all of the surface. Um, and in general, at this time, as, as we know that there is spread of the virus, you just want to think about avoiding unnecessary activities that involve large groups of people um, because that is a way we can help contain it. And depending on where you live and what the prevalence of the virus is in your community, um, you very likely may think about restricting certain activities just in an effort to, um, to try to contain the spread. Again, I emphasize that children and younger people do in general, quite well with this, but we're trying to think about it as a community society level of stopping the spread. One of the issues with this virus, the, you know, if you're exposed to the virus, typically you'll start showing symptoms between two to 14 days after exposure with the average amount of time, they say around five days after exposure. However, there is some data to suggest that you might actually be contagious before you have the first symptoms. Right. And that makes it much harder to control the spread, as you can imagine. Right. Well, let me say that you can shed virus. So shed virus means that there's still virus, say, in your um, mucus. There's still virus possibly in your stool. Um, after even 14 days. We are not sure if that can cause illness in others as of yet from what I have read so far, but that, you know, if there is prolonged shedding or infection that can, from a person, that could be an issue and, and having spread before you have any symptoms, before you feel sick can be an issue. And also, I mean, as we just mentioned, how many people have a cold or a runny nose? Your symptoms might be mild initially, so you might not think to not go out. Mm -hmm. um, but then, so now you should be more cautious with your kids to protect people who, you know, that where you didn't think anything was a big deal, but this, this virus is going around and we want to protect people who don't have the same response to it. Correct. We're trying to control the spread of this virus, trying to think about keeping everyone healthy so we can contain it, even though the majority of people will be absolutely fine. So it's how do we keep that in mind and not let ourselves get you know, panicked and desperate, but to be really mindful. And for those people who are elderly, especially with chronic conditions, they really need to avoid crowded places and really be much more careful because of the risk. 
So would you say that kids need to avoid those crowded places, particularly if they're going to be, for example, taking spring break with grandparents or, or just in general, or is that overkill? I do get a, a little more nervous about people visiting grandparents if they may have been exposed. So I think from a common sense perspective, you want to do everything in your power to try to limit your children and your, and your own exposure um, before going and, and visiting, you know, older relatives and older people um, because of their increased risk for serious illness. And for a child who has a risk for serious illness or, a, you know, an anybody really, what are the kinds of predispositions that are associated with poor outcomes? You know, again, or do we just not have a, a lot of information? We don't have a lot of information. And mm-hmm. I will say, you know, certain patients who have neuromuscular conditions, who have issues with cough, clearly cystic fibrosis, children, I mean, obviously those children are going to be at increased risk. Um, I personally um, have been trying to make sure that all of my asthmatic patients have all of their medications that help prevent inflammation of the airways Mm. so that they are in the best condition if they were to get this virus to be able to handle it. So I say, you know, patients who might have asthma or um, any other medical condition, even like diabetes or something, discuss with your doctor to make sure that your illness is, you know, optimally managed. So if you were to get this, you know, the coronavirus, that you would be in in best condition to fight it off well. Okay. Now, if someone has a kid who's sick, do they need to come in for treatment for everything? Or is it just if it's something that you can't treat with, you know, over-the-counter medicine? So it's a really good question. If a child has fever and sore throat, could this the coronavirus. I mean, fever and sore throat are some of the symptoms you can have. And strep throat is one of those infections that does need to actually be treated with antibiotics. So that would be a reason to come in. If you have those symptoms and a known risk factor travel somewhere or possible exposure to someone who may have had the coronavirus, um, you would want to call your doctor's office in advance and let them know about that risk because we are taking extra precautions and wearing specific masks and getting patients so they're not in the waiting room and that they have a mask on immediately. And we are really trying to limit the exposure of other patients and healthcare workers um, to patients who might have coronavirus, obviously. And Yet for someone with these symptoms, they should be seen. If someone has cold symptoms and fever, cough, cold, congestion, and known exposure or risk factor, again, that will be a reason we do want to identify all cases of coronavirus. So we would want to test that patient, but call your doctor's office in advance to A, make sure that they are able to test. We now have more 
ability. Uh, LabCorp, which is a testing company, uh, lab test company, just came out with a test on Friday. And, and Quest is another one, which said they will have tests available on Monday. But we actually currently are reviewing with the Department of Health testing before we do it. We'll have more widespread availability of testing, I believe, this coming week. But again, you want to make sure that you contact your doctor's office to give them the heads up so that we can try and do best containment of exposure of other people to this. Um, If your child just has a cold, runny nose, cough, no fever, don't seem that sick, not in an area, you know, where, where you're that worried that they'd have it. It likely is just a cold. If you have concerns, of course, talk with your doctor. If your child is having what we call increased work of breathing, uh-huh. meaning it looks like they're using extra chest muscles to breathe, they're working harder, they might, they're often breathing faster, they always need to be seen by a doctor in these situations. And depending on how critical it is, you know, whether you go to the ER if it's more severe or to your pediatrician, again, I usually say call your pediatrician, let them know if it's an emergency and they are really working hard. Of course you call 911. Um, but Definitely increased work of breathing is always a reason to be seen. We're going to start seeing, you know, tree pollen and things that are triggering wheezing and there are other viruses. So I would, it's not necessarily that it's Corona, especially depending on where you are, but it is absolutely a consideration and something you want to check in with your pediatrician. People are coming upon spring break over the next week, two weeks, three weeks, depending on where you're in school. And parents are wondering about travel. Should people be concerned about travel? Is this thing we just don't know? We have to kind of keep waiting and seeing? Or if all is okay and everybody's healthy, is it okay to travel? So I would say first, of course, check the CDC recommendations related to travel restrictions. And certainly there are certain areas where you would not travel. Right, of course. You do not go to Northern Italy right now. You do not (laughs) You know, I mean, there's some obvious travel restrictions. Right, but in a place that hasn't had a lot of, if any. I mean, so the risks are several. You know, right now they're advising in many places to avoid large gatherings and groupings. And I don't know if anyone's waited online you know, to go through security that would count as a large gathering, (laughs) grouping. So it's it's a risk factor, but it's a risk factor like a large gathering is. On the plane, um, again, we do not think this is airborne, but it is droplet. If you are coughing yourself, you should probably not go on the plane because you will A, make everyone else on the plane panic. Um, And and you want to make sure you aren't actually sick with, you know, Again, if you're in a high-risk area, something like coronavirus, um, I think many people will be okay to travel. We have tried to say avoid unnecessary travel just because of potential spread. And again, it's just this idea of trying to contain. So I think the Center for Disease Control and many physicians would say try and limit your exposure 
what to is a lot that? Of people and yet people good hand washing. Be careful. Right. Will they say I'm just going to go and hopefully where I go has less coronavirus than we're at home? I think many people will likely do that. If you're taking the train or the bus to work, I mean, you take the train to work every day. Yeah. What precautions do you take? I mean, there are precautions I always take, which, you know, I never touch an elevator button with the pointy part of my finger. I touch it with my knuckle or like a wrist or something that I'm not going to touch to my face. I'm very mindful to try and not touch my nose, my eyes, my mouth in that setting. I try and keep my nose and my head like turned down or away from other people. Right now, by the way, I, I, I was not this sporadic <laughs> before coronavirus. <coughs> trying to, as you cough, um, just so, I, I mean, again, it's droplet secretions, torture, hands, mouth, face. Like, can you try and not have your face close to another person's face by either turning it away or something like that. Right now, the recommendations are are not to use the mask that you can buy in part. I mean, they might, they certainly might offer some protection, but they're not full protection is the thought. And they don't want to give you a false sense of security. And, you know, the special type of masks, which are tight fitting that are used in hospitals are those N95 masks, um, which really are more complete in their protection from droplets. But absolutely, I would bring hand sanitizer with you and around if you can, um, or when you get in from wherever you've traveled on public transportation to wash your hands when you get someplace where you have a sink and soap and be just mindful of not touching your face as much as you can. Um, that's all so helpful. And I think it's just important to remember this isn't just, and we were talking about this earlier and I don't think we recorded it, but we were talking about how this is not just about ourselves as individuals or our children as individuals. So yes, you can be calm that your child is going to be okay and you're probably going to be okay. But this is also about being considerate from a public health perspective. Correct. As we spoke before, you know, most People, if they get this, will have mild illness. In particular, children seem to either not get this. There's very few children who actually have symptoms. And, and, and if they do, um, usually their symptoms are mild. But elderly people and people with chronic medical conditions can get quite sick. Um, and there currently does seem to be about a 3 to 4% fatality rate from this illness. And it's, you know, disproportionately in, in these groups of people. And so how do we try and think about controlling the spread of a virus to make sure those at risk are less likely to be exposed to it and to contain it and that we can stop the spread? Um, and it's hard as we've gotten into used to this life where we're like, well, I want to do this now. Why can't I do this now? You know, I feel fine. I'll probably be fine. Um, but it is almost like an act of consideration for those who are more at risk to slow down your life and expose yourself, hopefully, to, to fewer potential people who could be infected. And if you are infectious, to, to be out in the community a little bit less. And I, I've already seen people 
You know, I think people are not giving hugs this month. People are not shaking hands. People are doing much more, you know, video conferencing and, and trying to cut back on unnecessary um, exposures to others as we try to just stop the spread. If we all were able to stay six feet away from every other person for, you know, the next month, <laughs> the virus would stop spreading. <laughs> we can guarantee that. It, that's obviously an impossibility, but can we try to, to do our part? I'm so grateful. I know it's, it's hard. And I mean, I think one of the things that you'll address and that, you know, I'm addressing is, you know, little four-year-olds come in and they're like, hi, do I have coronavirus? <laughs> like, I don't think so. But it's, it's in the conversation. Children are worried about it. I think one of our roles as adults, we don't want to give misinformation to children. We don't want to make them more scared than need be. And it's actually an easy thing to talk to children about as far as, you know, this is a virus that can cause a bad cold. It can make people sick, but for children, they do well. But thinking about teaching good hand washing and, and covering your coughs and things like that are good life skills to teach right. young kids. But we do want to prevent people from getting so anxious that, that their children are really having issues processing it, which, which you know some families will be dealing with right now. There are I have seen children who are incredibly anxious, neurotically anxious, or, you know, dry skin and hands because they can't stop hand washing because they're so worried about this. So we want to keep the worry in perspective. I think that in general, most people will have mild disease. There are probably many more people infected than we actually know of who have mild disease, which means that the actual fatality rate of it is actually less than we are currently estimating, but we would like to stop the spread of it so that there are no more fatalities of it in the U.S. That is our goal. You know, I was going to keep talking um, after we spoke to just address some of the psychological stressors that are coming up and how to talk to our kids. So I'm really glad you mentioned that because basically that's another whole issue, which is that these poor kids are feeding off of our anxiety of the unknown and what's happening. And so it's important to remember that, yes, they have to learn really skilled hand washing, but also that they have to know that that, that was enough, that, that they wash their hands, that they're sneezing in a napkin and then washing their hands or coughing in their wing, but that they're safe and we're trying to protect other people. And all of the things that you said, I think it's so important because just letting them know it, we, we can imagine how scary that sounds. And right. No, I, I mean, and everyone is talking about it. Yeah, so they're aware of it. So, as you said, I wouldn't dismiss it, and and I would just say you will be fine with it because for you, you know. But let's just keep from spreading our germs. That's, That's right, all. and and it's not the worst thing to get kids thinking about their mm-hmm. um, public health consciousness, and you know that. It, it's not something to provoke anxiety, but to empower them. Like, you know, you can really play a role in protecting other people instead of getting them freaked out about their health or your health. Um, but really thinking about like, okay, what can I, when I wash my hands and I cough in my wing, I'm helping protect other people. Thank you for listening. And with this and all of the information that you're getting, especially on this particularly stressful topic, 
remember to shut this off or anything else off that's going to stress you out because it is important to have the right information and the helpful information. It's not good to oversaturate yourself and make yourself bonkers. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and write a little review. And I would love to hear from you. So keep sending in your questions on my Instagram DM at Raising Good Humans Podcast. And I will get back to Q&As next week. Have a wonderful day.